Welcome to the Civil War Regiments podcast, here to provide you with the reading of accounts of the common soldiers of the American Civil War, giving insight into the daily lives of the soldiers through diaries and more. The primary source of these entries are from the outstanding Time Life series, Voices of the Civil War. Today's account is from Voices of the Civil War, The Wilderness, an entry by Private John Haley of the 17th Maine Infantry. During the Battle of Spotsylvania, Virginia, which began on May 10, 1864, Haley's unit was part of a two-regiment reconnaissance led by Major James Briscoe that pushed south across Gladys Run in an attempt to find the flank of Robert E. Lee's entrenched Confederates. However, they instead discovered themselves in a trap set by the rebel division of General Henry Heath, who were attempting to entrap the overextended Federal lines. In this account, Haley describes the collapse of his regiment, bad leadership, and his narrow escape from the rebels. Of the actual position of Lee's force, we had no knowledge. It might be a long way off or it might be close by. Soon after deploying, we passed down into a hollow. This was Gladys Run, and on the high ground of the other side, we saw something that we mistook to be rebel skirmishers. We fought them on common civil, to allow us to approach so near without making some kind of show of hostility. When we all had crossed the stream, we prepared to charge, but a nearer view showed them to be nothing but stumps, which by some singular circumstance were situated equal distances apart on the end of the hill and all of the line. This bugbear now disposed of, we moved on and reached a point perhaps a mile and a half from the Pole River. A clearing showed another run, and we were just starting up in eminence in the woods, when suddenly the familiar wish, wish, and zip, zip informed us that we had at last stirred up our nest of hornets. We immediately put ourselves in a position to engage them. It didn't take long for us to find out that we were working at a decided disadvantage, both as to position and numbers. They were well supported and had entrenchments, while we were out on open ground, and far in advance of any of our army, our right flank in the air, and our left the devil knew where. Briscoe now urged us on, but we refused to move another step in that direction. He grew livid with rage and swore several shocking oaths in quick succession, but this didn't move us a hair. The bullets became more and more plentiful as we stood behind the trees, trying to make up our minds what to do. To go farther was to invite annihilation of our entire force. To advance was folly. To retreat promised death or wounds at best. Briscoe swore, threatened, entreated. It was no go. He then tried to bully us by drawing his sword and threatening to cut our damned heads off. But we didn't budge. We firmly refused to sign our death warrants or be driven or bullied any further by him or any other drunken pimp. Just at this moment, as he was trying to get up to advance again, a bullet struck his horse, nearly unseating him. He kept to the road all this time, and would have been brought down, but for the fact that the enemy could hear him giving orders to us to go forward, and no doubt they thought we should soon all be their game. Seeing now that they were not likely to accomplish his purpose, they turned on him and peppered his poor old nag. Briscoe wheeled about and put the spurs to what was left of the animal. 
With surprising agility and brilliancy of execution, he made tracks for the rear, yelling as he departed. You must all now look out for yourselves, and if anyone gets out, he might have a chance to make coffee. What an incentive to action. The privilege of making coffee. Major Briscoe was one of the last whom I would thought capable of such a cowardly and unfeeling act. Had I not been an eyewitness and participant, it would be incredible. No thanks to him that we were not shocked or gobbled and sent to Richmond to enjoy a spell at Libby Prison or Bell Island. Thoughts of the terrors of these dens proved sufficiently stimulating to make us an attempt to escape and to succeed. We moved over the ground in a manner calculated to astonish ourselves and friends. The Rebs pursued us with all the speed attainable, but we, having so much more at stake, almost flew. Also, we had the promise of Briscoe's coffee to spur us on. And we did outrun Johnny Reb, and did come first to the river. A goodly portion of our flight was through a section of underbrush, so dense a rabbit couldn't have skinnied through without leaving behind most of his hair. By dint of a great deal of puffing, sweating, and blowing, we worked our way out of the thicket. The Rebs, in the meantime, had projected themselves through the gap between us and the 4th Main and seized the road in the crossing. Seeing this, we made no attempt to reach the crossing, but jumped into the stream and made our way across. It may be said that all this scrabble caused us to indulge in sundry, unscriptural remarks concerning the rebels in general, and Briscoe in particular. We jumped into the taw with a strong suspicion that we should sink to rise no more, the water being of that peculiar color that prevents one from seeing the bottom. If we could swim with our duds on, it was well, otherwise we would drown. The shots of the rebels grew nearer and nearer, and we couldn't stop to deliberate. So in we went, but instead of disappearing beneath the river, we found ourselves standing on the bottom, with water only going up to our waists. Such a sudden halt was too much, it nearly upset my equilibrium. I was affected very much like the cow who was struck by a locomotive and thrown into a field nearby. She wasn't hurt, but she was much surprised. I had on long-legged boots, which soon filled with water. I had to stop and turn it out, thereby exposing my corporeal substance to considerable risk. But no catastrophe came to pass, and I was soon out of the way. We floundered out on the other side, and when Johnny Reb saw we had eluded him, he grew red in the face and commenced to pepper us, even firing at a lot of our wounded who were being brought across. The chivalrous conduct on the part of our sovereign gentlemen is unbelievable. They call us vulgar Yankees, yet I never knew a Yankee so vulgar as to fire on our wounded men who were being carried from the field. Private John Haley, 17th Maine Infantry